The healthcare industry has undergone transformational change in the past 10 years, especially as it relates to the implementation of technology. Even so, there's much more to do and many companies are out there doing it, but you don't know about them. At Intrepid Healthcare, our podcast will bring you the crazy ones, the rebels, the troublemakers, the ones who see things differently. The people that are crazy enough to think they can change the world in healthcare. So sit tight and enjoy as we tell the story of another thought leading trailblazer. Welcome back to Intrepid Healthcare. I'm your host, Joe Lavelle, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation with yet another trailblazing innovator. We're going to get right to it today. We're joined by Ferris Taylor. COO of Arches Health Plan and also Office of the Chair for the Healthcare Executive Group. Ferris, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joe. It's a pleasure to be on with you and your colleagues. Absolutely. It's our pleasure, and thanks for making the time. Before we get into our discussion today, could you take a few seconds and tell the audience about you and your background? I'd be glad to, Joe. I've been in healthcare about 30 years. I've seen the ebb and flow of the industry, and it's great to be able to step back with colleagues like you and look at the industry questions and the challenges we're facing. My career has really focused both inside of healthcare and outside of healthcare on making data and technology work for decision making. And the first 10 years of that career were outside of healthcare, data resources which is part of Standard and & Poor's, and, and a couple of consulting firms. But I got introduced into healthcare in the mid-'80s with a very innovative health plan at the time, Harvard Community Health Plan. It was a staff model HMO, and I, I worked there a dozen years and had just a great experience. And basically, Joe got hooked on this industry and the complexities and the opportunities were there. So the last 30 years have been in healthcare. I, I spent a dozen years on the payer side with Harvard Community through their mergers to Harvard Pilgrim. Went over to the hospital side, was VP of marketing and, and planning for North Shore Medical Center, which is the community hospital portion of Partners Healthcare there in Boston. And then had the opportunity to view the industry, not just from the payer and the provider side, Side, but headed up a medical consulting practice for the strategic pricing group, which is now part of Deloitte Consulting. And our, our primary clients were pharmaceuticals and medical device companies. And again, you, you see the different the industry very differently from that point of view. After that consulting engagement, actually headed up payer market strategy for at the time it was Ingenix, but Optum Healthcare, part of United Healthcare. And then the last three or four years years have been involved with the startup of one of the co-ops, and the co-ops are under attack right now financially, but Arches Health Plan is the co-op serving the members here in the state of Utah, and we, over a two-year period of time, grew our membership from no members as of December 31st, 2013, to about 63,000 members at the end of 2015. Outstanding. Thanks for sharing such a diverse background. Could you take the next couple of minutes and provide our audience with a 10,000-foot overview of the healthcare executive group? 
Oh, I'm very interested in doing that. I've been involved with the Healthcare Executives Group since 2004, so I guess about a dozen years. It is a unique organization, an association of health plans and provider groups, but I think the roots of the organization really reflect the differences of the organization versus a lot of associations throughout the country. And that history goes clear back 25 years ago, 26 years ago, when a computer company in Boston, Digital Equipment, a DEC, decided to discontinue their healthcare users group. And that group of users had gotten used to getting together and sharing with digital equipment their their challenges, their technology, their data, and their operational challenges, and working with that organization to solve those challenges. When DEC decided to discontinue the users group, that group of executives said, hey, well, wait a minute, we want to keep networking, we want to keep talking, working through issues together, and actually be able to address issues beyond just things that that particular computer company might be able to address. And that was the formation of the... At the time, Joe, it was called the Managed Care Executives Group because Managed Care 25 years ago was the leading edge of healthcare reform and change and technology. Some years ago, the Managed Care Executives Group, because of the broader set of issues that the industry is trying to address, changed the name to the Healthcare Users Group. So the organization is really a group of executives, and it's not the large national I like to call them the Bukas, the Blues, the Signas, and the Etnas, and those of the world. But it's typically composed of more regional, statewide, or area-wide health plans and provider groups that have a desire at the executive level to get together in a non-competitive environment, try to identify the critical issues that they're going to be facing in the future, and then put together monthly webinars, share white papers, do research, and have we have an annual forum that we hold each year where those executives come together for two or three days, and we bring in industry thought leaders then to initiate a high-level perspective on critical issues, and then really open up the discussion, the floor, to an open sharing of perspectives on those challenges and how to address them. So our members, our executives that belong to the Healthcare Executives Group, uh, really walk away with two or three benefits. One benefit, of course, is that they have the benefit of a broad number of executives across a number of different segments in the healthcare space, payers, providers, technology vendors. So they have a perspective of what the issues are and an open discussion of how those issues might be addressed. Naturally, each one of those executives have to apply that to their own organization, and every organization is unique. So that's one benefit. But the second benefit, which I think is more subtle, but very, very powerful, and that is that over the course of 
belonging to the healthcare executives group and participating in the webinars and sharing perspectives in the open forums that we have, those executives come away with a network of executives around the country that on a day-to-day basis, if a problem comes up or a new issue comes into mind, they have a group of executives so they can pick up the phone, they're a known entity, I can call Alan Abramson at Health Partners and say, hey, Alan, I'm, I'm hitting an issue here. Have you hit this issue? How are you dealing with it? Who are the vendors you're using to solve some of those issues and like that? So very key organization in keeping executives thoughts and attention out in the future as opposed to getting bogged down just in the operational problems that we all have to address in healthcare. And number two, having that network of people that they know and that know them and know their situation to some degree that they can pick up the phone and call and get services. I guess a third aspect of the organization that is unique is that we're very selective in terms of our sponsors. And we call our sponsors sponsors, partners, are typically technology companies, but we limit that, the number of sponsors, to 8 to 10, primarily because we don't want to be an organization that's having a webinar or at our annual forum where you have more vendors or, or sponsors at the event than you have industry people that are trying to survive in the chaos of healthcare. And we ask those sponsors, when they come to events or participate in the webinars, to take off their sales hat, check it at the door, and come to the table as a thought leader as well with their ability to share what they're seeing in terms of technology. And it's a fine line between whether they're pitching (laughs) their solutions or whether they're really saying, we see the problem, here's how we're solving it. And again, they're in that network. At any point in time, they know the industry leaders throughout the country. They can pick up the phone and call Ferris Taylor and say, hey, Ferris, the annual forum, you raised the question, you were trying to deal with this, we've come across or our development team has been working on something, here's something we think that you might be interested in talking about. And, you know, Joe, I'm open to those kinds of discussions when it's that type of a discussion. Exactly. It isn't a sales pitch, it's really, how do we solve these problems? So, that's the Healthcare Executives Group. It's a great group, I've been involved, as I said, for a dozen years, and I consider it one of my most valuable assets that I have in my role as the Chief Operating Officer. Perfect. One of the things you mentioned there, Ferris, was the annual forum, which this year is coming up September 12th through 14th in New York City. What sets that annual forum apart from other conferences that healthcare people attend? Good question. And it actually, Joe, is a bit of a transition that the Healthcare Executives Group has been making. In my 12 years of participating with them, typically our annual forum was in the spring, March, or April when it's been kind of cold and we went to a resort environment, Florida or Arizona or South Texas, and that resort environment was an important part of the culture, which was to get people away from their office into a relaxed environment where this kind of networking and idea sharing and roundtable discussions and like that could take place. We don't want to impact that environment, but we really felt that over the last couple of three years, 
years. And I have to say from my perspective that in the 30 years in healthcare, 25 years of that history or so is totally irrelevant at this point. The whole world has changed over the last four or five years in healthcare. And it's more than just the Affordable Care Act and the qualified health plans and those types of things. Even before that, we had the stimulus package, the RF funding that pumped $30, $40 billion into electronic medical records, really kind of took health care from the dinosaur world into the 21st century where and now I have electronic health records on my personal health, had them on my car and on my other devices for some years, but healthcare has come into the 21st century. And so we felt that we needed to go to where healthcare is really taking place. And the Northeast, New York, is a hotbed of healthcare innovation and a lot of new thought leadership coming out there. New York City is also much easier to get to. Pick the weekends. The Sunday before the conference starts is September 11th. There will be a number of events in New York City because of September 11th. And so we made it a business environment, but where healthcare is really taking place. And that's allowed us to bring in some thought leaders that I think will really challenge the thinking and bring to the top of mind some of the industry issues that we have to address. And so this year's forum is really focused on on three topics, and we'll spend a half or three quarters of a day on each of the three topics. The biggest one that we're addressing is the payer-provider relationship. And this is more than just value-based reimbursement. I think when we talk about the relationship in the past, in my you know, the first 25 years, Joe, the payers were negotiating their contracts with the providers, and the idea was get the lowest price that you can for every single DRG or CPT code. That's proven that it's not solving the problem. It's led to a volume-driven healthcare system. And there's much more to the payer-provider relationship than just that contract. It really is how businesses work together. And I know personally here at Arches Health Plan, we have experienced the dramatic change that can take place, both to the benefit of the consumer and the provider. And of course, where I think the biggest challenge exists in healthcare, and that is that if we don't rein in the cost of health care, everything else is irrelevant. We can't sustain the types of premium increases that are taking place. And so we need to get into that payer-provider relationship. Now, you can't do that without the second pillar of the forum, which is technology. And that's a big bucket, Joe. I realize that. And for the people who attend, there's going to be a lot of dimensions of discussion around technology. But we've got digitization, digitalization of healthcare with all of the wearable devices and all of the information that now can become available to the system, to the payers, to the providers, to the consumers, and to the technology companies. So in that technology is big data and the types of analytics that are going to change and personalize healthcare rather than this is the disease you have and this is the way everybody who has that disease is treated. How do I get it down to personalized healthcare where my body metabolizes medication differently than somebody else's? How what what data can come into that process. So technology is a second key pillar. And for this year's forum, the third topic, we've really labeled market dynamics. Joe, I was just reading articles this morning. The Department of Justice is concerned about the Aetna Humana acquisition or the Anthem Sigma merger. So mergers and acquisitions on the provider side,
side, on the payer side, on the technology side is part of that discussion. But even more importantly, there's dimensions around market dynamics on how do we retain the experience and the talent and the expertise of staff that are going to be needed to solve the problems that we're trying to address as an organization. And I guess for your listeners and participants, I should indicate every year at this annual forum, we leave the forum with a list of the HCG top 10 issues. And it's a process that actually evolves during the forum and the discussions where we have 20 or 30 issues that everybody brings to the table going into the forum. And we keep refining and distilling those down to literally a member voted set of top 10 issues that we publish. And then we use those top 10 issues to drive the webinars that we hold throughout the year. And we use those top 10 to create these three pillars that we're using for the annual forum that, as you mentioned, is coming up on the 12th through the 14th of September in New York. Perfect. I'd be interested in your perspective, having been involved in this for over 10 years now. How quickly do those top 10 issues cycle in and out? Well, I wish for your listeners I could share a graphic because I've been tracking these for six or seven years now and sort of watching how they evolve over time. And it isn't that every year the top 10 issues are a new set of issues. To me, the dynamic is, okay, what are the issues that are moving up that priority list? And, of course, the obvious one over the last five or six years since I've been tracking that is the role of the consumer. We're really before the Affordable Care Act, the customer for health care from a payer perspective. And you have to look at this from payer provider, technology, pharmaceutical, medical device point of view, and it's viewed a little bit differently. But from the payer point of view, really the purchaser of healthcare services five or ten years ago was the employer primarily and the government in Medicare and Medicaid and employers offering insurance. So the consumer was sort of off the picture and clearly five years ago we saw consumer engagement, compliance, how do I get the consumer to take some accountability in healthcare? We saw that come into the top 10 list, but it was kind of down at the bottom, Joe. And then you just saw that over every year, it sort of moved up. And the last couple of years, and really going back to our annual forum, we have the consumer in the center of these three big issues that we're talking about. So you can talk about peer provider relationships, but really what you're talking about is how are those relationships impacting the consumer? Not just the patient, but we use the term consumer because it's all of us, Joe. So as an example, that has changed over time. I have to also say that data and analytics were much more limited five or ten years ago. We didn't have the electronic medical records. Of course, computer power has changed. The technology has changed quite dramatically that allows us to take a very unique set of data now and bring it into healthcare and population management, healthcare analytics and like that. So that's another factor that we've seen come onto the screen and then move up. Another interesting one, if you go back five years ago, we had HIPAA 
but security and privacy of data was not an issue. It was sort of off the screen. It was something that we worried about over in our bank account because that was where the money was at. Today, if you look at data breaches that are taking place across all industries, healthcare is one of the growing segments. The value of healthcare data on the black market in terms of the hackers getting access to data is dramatically different. And that's one just in the last couple of three years. We've seen this issue come onto the screen. Even before it was an issue, it was a discussion point with the healthcare executives group, and we started the discussions on how you address those. We've had webinars around security, privacy and security, more than just HIPAA. High-tech put teeth into HIPAA compliance prior to four or five years ago. If there was a HIPAA violation, somebody could lose their job because they looked at the medical record that they weren't supposed to be looking at or something like that, but there was no teeth. Now, with the high-tech regulations, they're going to be up to a $50,000 fine per record for not appropriately protecting consumers' information. The numbers are staggering. If you take the Primera breach, millions, tens of millions of records that were hacked and were lost, obviously, the fines could be very high. Those are still developing, but more importantly, there's personal accountability. If an executive is blatantly disregarding how to protect medical records, there can be civil penalties. They could go to jail. Hasn't happened much yet, but that's another issue that has been on the screen and growing. So in answer to your question, these discussions really help us ferret out what could be out there next year and the year beyond, and how do we address that? I like to talk about payment reform as needing to have consumer payment reform. Part of the reason consumers are disengaged in healthcare is they really don't have a stake in the game. They have a copay, and their job is to do anything they want to do, eat anything they want to eat, and when they get sick, the doctor has to make them better. That's not a viable solution. We need a full, integrated solution of payers, providers, consumers, technology vendors that are going to have to come to bear to solve the healthcare problems. Well, it's easy for us to see you're really passionate about solving the industry's problems. Could you articulate what fuels your passion for the healthcare executive group for your involvement, your leadership position? Tough question, Joe, and an interesting one, and I've reflected back on that many times. I, as I said up front, I didn't start my career saying I'm going to be a healthcare executive. <laughs> in fact, is my undergraduate degree is nuclear physics. I was going to be a nuclear engineer. Oh, See wow. how I've gotten way off track. But again, what I really got involved with was data and technology, and I think in every industry, if you can get access to the right data and to the technology and bring those together, you can change the industry. And part of my passion is that I think the healthcare industry is desperately in need of change. And from my perspective, there are many things that can be done to actually bring about that change. I'm sort of an independent. I'm not a liberal or a conservative. I'm in the middle of that mix. But the facts are that if we don't solve the complexities of the healthcare industry, it's going to have a dramatic impact on the future. It's, it's my life. It's my parents' life. My parents have passed away, but my wife's parents are dealing with the challenges of aging. I've got 13 grandchildren, and each of those grandchildren are really important to me, and yet we have some that are just normal grandchildren, and we've got some that have some medical issues. 
And I believe there's solutions out there that could impact the lives and the posterity that I'm leaving there. So that's part of it. It's personal. The other part of it is professional, and that is that I've been very fortunate in my career to have excellent mentors. The first fellow I reported to at Harvard Community Health Plan, Bill Schlag, was a pharmacist by training, but had become a healthcare executive, and he really took me under his wings and has been a mentor. He's a good friend. We talk every week, even though I've relocated to Salt Lake City and he's still in Boston. He's in the hospital today getting a hip replacement. He's in my thoughts and prayers, but it's personal at that point. I'll give you a personal example, and this just, I happened into it with a geneticist, Steve Murphy out of uh, New York, and he's the one the FDA turns to when they have a genetics question. Young fellow, got two children in his early to mid-30s, but there aren't geneticists that are gray-haired like I am. Steve was working on a solution. He really said that there was a combination of genes and enzymes in the body that could determine how the body reacts to medications and like that. And he had picked a, a just a narrow segment of it, a, again, a little tiny piece where cardiology, if you have open heart surgery or like that, and you come out of that surgery, you always get an initial dosage of, and it starts usually with Plavix blood thinner, and they give you that medication, and then they watch how your blood is performing, and if it's not thin enough, they give you more. If it's too thin, they cut the dosage back. It's experimentation with what should the dosage be, and Steve said to me, if you do these combinations of tests, there's 15% of the population that will never respond to Plavix, no matter how much you give them. You have to go to Effian, a, a different medication for those individuals, but you don't know who those individuals are. And so he was developing a program where you can do a cheat swab and do the genetic tests and come back. And when you come out of surgery, you could know what the dosage of Plavix needed to be. And you would know if you're one of that 15% that would not respond to Plavix. Now, that is fantastic, but he wanted to test it. So he sent me a little tube in the mail, and I did the cheek swab and sent it off to him. And because of time differences and everything, Steve would call me late in the evening after the kids got to bed, but it was still early evening here in Salt Lake City, and we'd have a chat. And he called me at 10 o'clock in the morning. And I'm saying, well, Steve, it's uh, lunchtime. What's, uh, what's up? He said, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Uh, chat. He said, okay, I got your test back, your genetic test. And he said, Ferris, never allow anybody to give you Plavix. I said, well, what do you mean, Steve? He said, Ferris, you're one in a thousand people where the initial dosage, if it was that route that the doctors went, that initial dosage of Plavix, Joe, would kill you. Kill me. And I said, Steve, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, you know, that initial dosage would kill me. So people are being killed with Plavix? And he said, well, open-heart surgery is <laughs> a, a, a real challenge anyway. And it probably isn't just that. But he said, Ferris, do not let anybody give you Plavix. Now, I would have never known that, Joe. So am I passionate about it? Yeah, it's personal. It's professional. It's my grandchildren. I can't imagine being in an industry that would have more opportunity for thought leadership and making a difference. I'm working with a professor at the University of Utah here in Salt Lake City, Kel Fisher, who's now not just testing the genetics of the body, but he's testing the genetics of the biome that's inside of your intestines.
And that's probably where the allergies are coming from. The food just isn't being digested and absorbed correctly. And boy, when you go to the microbiomes that are in our intestinal tract, there's billions, if not trillions of those. So look at the opportunity. Uh, this is something, uh, this industry is a place where I think individuals can get involved and whether it's at a broad level or down into the specifics like I'm talking about with cardiology and one particular sort of medical treatment that you have to have when you come out of surgery, you've got to balance how the blood is clotting and like that. Look at the opportunity. So yes, I'm passionate. I enjoy the industry and I hope that the healthcare executives that are involved with our HCG organization, in the majority, I see that same passion. They come together with a desire to change and make the world a better place and that's a real opportunity in healthcare. Well, I really, really appreciate you sharing those stories, Ferris. It really gives a personal voice to what the healthcare executive group is doing. And quite frankly, it's why many of us in healthcare got in because it is personal. We are patients, we are consumers. And once you realize how much of an impact and change you can make, it's almost addicting. You have to be involved and you have to do something to make it better. And you can't walk away from it, Joe. You can't walk away from it. It's there. We can ignore it for a minute. And as soon as we do, then a friend or a family member or ourselves will be right back in the middle of health care. And at that point, it's too late to make a change. We've got to be out ahead of that, making the change. Exactly. Ferris, before we let the audience go, I want to encourage everybody to now go out to www.hcegheathcareexec.org to learn more about the great work that the healthcare executive group Ferris and his team are doing there and to keep up with what those top 10 things are, not only this year as they come out the annual meeting, but every year. Ferris, it's such a great pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for stopping by and sharing your great wisdom. It's been a delight, and Joe, I like your questions, and I like what you're trying to do, so keep up the good work. Oh, thank you very much. And we'll see you in September. Absolutely. It was our pleasure, Ferris. That wraps this broadcast. On behalf of our guest, Ferris Taylor, I'm Joe Lavelle, and we'll see you soon on Intrepid Healthcare. 